Hi there, and welcome to Social Capital Matters. I'm your host, Kylie Taylor. On this show, we take a deep dive into the ideas around social capital by talking to business and industry leaders about how they use it to inspire their stakeholders and build a framework for long-term success. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Social Capital Matters. We have a great show for you this week, but first, um, let me introduce my producer, Greg, in Bangkok. How are you, Greg? Are you there? Hi, Kylie. I'm doing fine. It's great that we're doing another call with someone on the other side of the world. You're in Australia, I'm here in Bangkok, and our guest today is in London. So let's go ahead and meet them. Excellent. Today, I'm talking to Dylan Tanner, the executive director and co-founder of Influence Map, a non-profit think tank providing objective analysis of how companies and financial institutions are impacting the climate and diversity crisis. Now based in London, Dylan grew up in Japan and has a long history of technical advisory and consulting work globally and in particular throughout Asia on projects covering environmental audits, corporate sustainability and climate strategy. So let's get right into it. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Kylie. Now, most of us are on a rapid learning curve when it comes to sustainability. Someone said to me a little while ago, hey, you know, do we really need to know all of this because we don't work in sustainability? And, you know, to me, the answer is yes, we all work in sustainability. So we all need to know this stuff. If you're a strategic communications professional today, working either as a consultant, as I do and my colleagues do, or working in-house for a corporate, you are working in sustainability. The future of organisations is predicated on how they're going to step up to the expectations of all their stakeholders. And that means stepping up to expectations around all aspects of ESG, because ESG is the critical lens that many stakeholders are using to evaluate companies. And, you know, with everything that I'm doing, that couldn't be more true. The world we're in, though, is set for discrepancies. It's getting more and more confusing for those of us who are not focused on this full time. And if I just looked at 2023, it was an incredibly eventful year. And I think it's fair to say that for anyone like me looking at this, there's a plethora of new acronyms that come up every single day. And some people are just being left a bit dazed and confused and don't know where to start. So with that background in mind, I thought it would be great to have a conversation with Dylan about this. Dylan, I'm really fascinated by what you're doing and how you go about it. Can you tell me more about why you co-founded Influence Map and what you're doing and what is it that you do that other organizations don't do? Yeah, th- th- thank you for that, uh, Kylie. Yeah, and, and I share your, not, not confusion, but um, this plethora of acronyms that have emerged. And uh, shall I, if I can just say, I, I encountered sustainability in ESG um, about 25 years ago when I set up an environmental consultancy in, in Japan and Asia. 
And back then, the issue was how do we comply with the law and uh, and still make money for companies? It was all about compliance and, and whatnot. And then ESG emerged and sustainability emerged. And, and that created uh, somewhat of a new paradigm for companies that were used to just complying with law and not, not having to, to worry about things that they needed to do but weren't in compliance. Yeah. But so... So I think that um, the world is now shifting in the, in the ESG. Some of the issues within ESG are now business critical issues. And, and that's, where, that's what, what Influence Map uh, studies, climate, climate change. And this is no longer, for, for many, many companies, just another ESG or sustainability issue. And so we set it up as, at the request of the investment community that didn't have enough information or they felt disclosures from companies were not sufficient to really understand corporate behavior on, on climate change. And the particular issue that they wanted to know more about was how are companies impacting the system and, and climate policy? And this is a very, very poorly disclosed uh, topic in general from companies. Now, you do a lot more than just reading sustainability reports. I know you go beyond that. How do you actually go about collecting and compiling data at Influence Map? What's involved? So um, it's all in the public domain and it's all legitimate information that either the companies have communicated to governments or the companies are communicating to the world via their own websites or, or communications and or it's reliable media uh, transcripts of what the senior management of companies have said or done. Uh, so we're, we're, we're using multi, multi-channel multi information sources, some of them uh, obtained by f- Freedom of Information requests, right. and combining these together to get a, a more accurate picture of the behavior of the company than is otherwise available through scant disclosure on this topic. Right. Okay. Now, we've got you're operating across many different countries and many different jurisdictions and with distinct rating agencies operating in different regions, employing different criteria, investors, regulators, even customers having their own expectations. uh, The scene is set for a lot of discrepancies or, or different ways of looking at the same information, maybe even. And so we've, you know, there's always going to be concerns about reliability or transparency or conflicts of interest or people just being very selective with the information that they put out there. How do you navigate that to make sure your information and your findings are as robust as they, they can be? Is it just a matter of scale and finding as much information as possible? Um, so, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that the whole ESG ratings, the whole ESG disclosure is undergoing a transformation. And the, um, the value of a single ESG metric for a company is becoming more in, in doubt because it's such a blend of, yeah. of many, many issues. I think the key to our metric is that it's very specific and highly relevant for, for, the, for the topic right. that we, we choose to study, which is climate change, which is now blowing up to being one of the biggest societal issues and certainly one of the one of the it's often the defining ESG issue for for investors and for many companies ESG equals climate change yeah. in many cases and yeah. plus nature as well but so yeah. so 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 therefore our, our our metric even though it's very very niche suddenly now rears its head as one of the most um, important for for certainly for investors to understand corporate behavior 
All right, I probably couldn't have this conversation with you without talking about COP28 a few months ago. Um, You were at COP28. And, you know, I think there more than ever we saw a huge number of um, corporates getting involved. Um, You were there. You mentioned to me you saw a lot of um, corporate lobbying and so forth going on. And I found it really fascinating, the sort of tug of war around the final statements that came out. And we had one version of the statement that the um, president of COP28 was going to put out and then it was adjusted a little bit and then it came out again separately. And this is, of course, I'm talking about the fossil fuel just transition statement that came out at the end of that. You were there. You saw some of these machinations going on, I guess, behind the scenes and and centre stage. Did you leave that event feeling optimistic about the future did you how did you feel so so i i've been to quite a few of these so i i don't take such huge <laughs> um start from one particular it's it's like you're seeing a, a, a um a direction of travel yeah and it was very significant in that the, the the phrase phase out of fossil fuels was in place yeah and that's been something that the whole world the whole scientific and, and and civil society community has been trying to strive for so so that's something and that will be used by investors others to 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 challenge new fossil fuel development projects which are being proposed um in parallel with that whole COP process, which is 28, and I was at COP3 in Kyoto, so and, and some of them in between, yes, um, is, is, is now a whole burgeoning kind of non-state actor set of processes going on, and they meet at every COP, and it's almost like a parallel uh, set of activities. And those ones are very promising and, and, and growing and, and really influential. And one of the most um, interesting things for me was this whole unification of the renewable energy industry, which otherwise has been fragmented um, and, uh, and and now under a big campaign, which is called Double Down, Triple Up uh, Renewable yeah. Energy by, by 2030, and which will, which will hasten, uh, if that happens, the phase out of fossil fuels, because one, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. You only have so many power stations that need building and so many cars yeah. that need driving. So yeah. if you have... EVs and uh, renewable energy, then that that will impact demand for for fossil fuels. So that's a that's a great great outcome and a great set of things to get involved in. Aside from this uh, kind of international level stuff, which is often a marketing kind of activity and a negotiation thing yeah. that's that's slow. Yeah, I I heard um, an interview with um, Paul Polman, former CEO of Unilever, and obviously a a, a, a a larger than life actor in in this particular space. And one of the things he was talking about, and it's something that you talk about too, about the um, great power imbalance that the large corporations have. And he said in that space, there there are good actors and there are bad actors amongst the, the companies. There are some corporations that will only ever push their vested interests and others really try to collaborate with government and other stakeholders to deliver better outcomes for society. How do you figure out which is which as a consumer, as a customer, or even as an investor and the people that you work with? Is it your analysis of organizations that help sort out who are the good actors and the bad actors? Can I simplify it that much? Um, so so we we know Paul Pullman well. Um, he, he when he was CEO of Unilever, he 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 was uh, he, he was engaged with our data and used it to 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 impact his own company Unilever. 
Um, but but I think one of the things we try and do is create uh, um, scorecards. So company five hundred companies ranked A through F. Yeah. And b- below that, there's a whole bunch of data and an analysis to justify that score. So. Um, certainly investors can get engaged with that data and identify good actors and bad actors. And, um, and, and that's, that's the purpose of our data. And they, they use it to do have deep engagements with companies and companies try and improve their scores. And we say the only way you can improve your score is improve your performance. No amount of disclosure on your, on, on your sustainability report will, 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 will help out in that respect. So, um, one thing we'd like to do is to allow the, the, the wider public to understand the importance of the of the, the issue of corporate engagement with policy and society and the system. And uh, that, that's something is a challenge for us. Um, I want to just jump to um, a related topic. In this podcast series, I also um, talked to a corporate affairs and sustainability lead for BASF in the region. And we had a, a really good discussion because one of the things I put to him was that, well, you know, I've seen some ratings that Influence Map have done on BASF and, you know, you didn't come out so strongly and what's your reaction to that? Marco Jelicic from BASF, you know, explained it to me and said, well, you know, BASF, we're a really large corporation. We've got many parts to our corporation. Some are moving faster than others. Others are at a a much lower rate of maturity and there's more work to do. Um, He was well aware of the the poorer rating that they'd had from Influence Map. And he, you know, suggested to me that he didn't think some of the analysis was was detailed enough or, or thorough enough. You must, I don't really want to just dive into the BASF example and put you on the spot, but what do you do when you come up against that? Do you come up against companies, you know, disagreeing with your, your ratings or, or are the facts the facts? The facts are the facts. Um, what we come up against is exactly what uh, the person from BASF articulated. Companies want us to blend, um, uh, I guess, internal strategy and internal capex and other issues into our rating. And they say, well, listen, this is a long transition. This is what we're doing now. And we push back on that because we think this is there's already enough systems to measure uh, how the pathways towards decarbonization or emissions profile of companies is. Um, that's what all of the other ESG systems do. So our our job is to take out the policy engagement uh, aspect, which is which is usually decided at the corporate level, not. Um, not fragmented around the world by these big companies and say this is an important metric so users can understand what the company is thinking right now in real time about the energy transition. Is it fighting all these government regulations? And therefore, it's probably not on board with the the CapEx and the emissions reduction plans as much as other companies. So we do see a difference in the same sector, like in utilities or automotive. Some companies are yep. pushing governments to act act more fast, so their business models will, will have an advantage, while others are fighting it and so they can cling on to their, um, I guess, brown assets for longer. So it's an important metric for, for that purpose, and it shouldn't be blended in with something, something other yep. and then lose its value. Um, 
I can't imagine any other organization other than yours that would have studied as much sustainability information and sustainability reports on a whole range of companies. So I just wanted to talk about the whole idea of superficiality for a moment. We come across lots of organizations and, you know, they want to do a good job, but it's got to be more than just a tick box exercise. Um, Do you just, and I know this is very sort of macro, sort of broad sweeping statement, but do you think that a large number of companies are are really getting it now and moving beyond the superficial box ticking, or do you still see a lot of that going on? I think putting myself in a sustainability function of a company, having to disclose the stuff and deal with all of these different standards, um, it is a huge challenge. I, I I do think that the tick box things is still there in some sectors and some yep. companies. Um, but I do think many companies are really trying hard to understand the the, the multiple and often conflicting demands from multiple stakeholders and re- report on that uh, in in a in a way that's both honest but also in a way that's beneficial to the company. And that's that's a balance that needs to be had. Um, but I do think there's a role for um, data providers and think tanks like us that do yeah. not ask the companies for disclosure. They just report on what we see. And, and that's that's an important uh, kind of challenge to push the companies as well. Now, what about the role of rating agencies? There are a whole range of firms that will provide some type of rating service and rating agency then or on the same hand they can actually um, sell your services to help you get a better rating next time and help you review your work is am I looking at this in a too, too much of a simplified way or does that still go on and is that how it works um, I have heard that 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 they do have consulting arms I, I do think that there needs to be Chinese walls between yeah. those it, yeah. it is it is a conflict of interest potentially yeah in the same manner that um, in the great financial crisis you had the, the rating agencies uh, accepting money to, to award AAA status to various bonds so that needs to be um, taken care of. But I mean, that's sort of the wider uh, companies are paying auditors to audit their accounts. Yeah. And so so it's it's hard to avoid that. But but I but I do think you've pointed out a good case of you have a ratings agency, which they're making money from selling to investors, and then they're setting up a side business helping the companies improve their score, which uh, which which is, is, is an issue. But uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's something that's I think the main issue with these ESG ratings is that they're blending too many issues and relying simply on disclosure reports from the companies on on the, for their data sources. Right, right. Okay. Like the example that we talked about previously. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you um, to explain for a minute you, this um, whole of system approach. When I chatted to you previously, you it really resonated with me when you talked about the fact that organisations need to look beyond their own operations and look at their impact on the whole system. And that to me just made incredible common sense. And I just thought, wow, that's a really important conversation that more people need to be having and more organizations need to be thinking about. So maybe I could just ask you to explain what you mean by this whole of system approach and maybe give an example or two. So what we're told by um, Unilever, I don't want to put them on a pedestal or anything, but yep. <laughs> they, they went down their path of how do we create a transition plan around climate and, and, and make sure that um, we can implement that in these, these many countries that we operate, which is everywhere. 
And they soon found that actually the, the barrier they were hitting was lack of uh, government guidance and policy in many of those countries to implement that plan. And this is something that many large multinationals are finding, particularly you know, the first stages of decarbonization is how do we procure renewable energy around the world for our global operations? And big tech companies, for example, were, were hitting barriers associated with policy. So I think in the last couple of years and accelerated in the last year is this, is this un- understanding for cor- corporate leadership on climate and ESG requires uh, robust and purposeful engagement uh, on the policy side of things in, in a manner that's um, not only beneficial to the company, but also um, in line with science-based policy. And that's a, that's a, that's a catchphrase. It's not a catchphrase. That's, a, that's a, something that's emerging as, as complementing science-based targets and stuff, which, which, which you're probably familiar with yes. in, in terms of emissions reduction. Well, th- this is what the IPCC is saying about the future of the world's pathways towards 1.5C. Companies have now sometimes more power than many governments individually in, in, in swaying that policy and that they perhaps have a need to do it to implement their plans and, and at best like an obligation to do this for their, their wider kind of thriving in the system, I guess, is, is the way many companies put it. I like um, the fact that the facts are the facts. Like once you get to the facts behind something and, you know, my understanding of your work at Influence Map is, you know, you are looking to be uh, one clear source of the truth, if you like, for for the various audiences that are relying on, on your reports and, and on your, your benchmarking, your ratings. And I think the whole idea of truth today is very important. And we spend a lot of time around, you know, I I like to think of it as the three T's around truth, transparency, and trust. Now, I I think, you know, those three words would be very, um, would resonate very strongly with you in your business, because that's exactly what you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to the truth, you're trying to get more transparency, and you're trying to sort of build trust. How, um, looking at this from, from a corporate point of view, from what you've seen, what could corporates be doing better to achieve higher standards? I mean, when we talked about the BASF example, you said, if you want a higher ranking or higher rating, do better. Just go and do better, perform better. Is it that simple or is there anything else that people, or when I say people, companies could be doing to achieve more around truth, trust and transparency? Of, of those, that's a really elegant way of putting that. And I think that the, the um, trust part of those three T's is, is the most difficult for companies. And maybe it's what they strive to attain from their stakeholders in, in their brand and in their, in their activities. Um, in the case of, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of apply this to influence map. Um, uh, and in the, in the, in the, the truth side of things, our kind of North Star is, the scientific community's consensus on climate change. And we, from the very beginning, said, look, we're not going to input our own opinions into this. Right. They don't, they matter. But in the grand scheme of things, we have 10,000 plus scientists who've worked this out. That's the truth. And we analyze the IPCC statements on, on, and they're getting more specific. So the truth is becoming more indisputable. And that's great, and 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 that yeah. our team loves that, and that's our our audience likes that. It's very elegant. And then there's a transparency side where we put out all of our stuff we do in the in the public domain, including our methodology, and that has 
therefore um, built up trust amongst um, investors, companies, and others in, in, the, in the credibility of our data. So I think that that applies to any situation and, and, and with companies as well. Look at what the science says on climate change and nature. And it's, you know, you, you don't need more studies, more information. There is enough information there in, in the benchmarks and the guidance. Um, and then be transparent about how you're engaging with that truth. So it, the ETs you mentioned are not difficult to understand. It's just how to, how to deal with some of the conflicts within the company about their their priorities, their short term gains and losses, and and then the stuff that um, the the three Ts that you mentioned says about uh, about the system. Um, you, you mentioned that the, you know the science is there. We've got the science today. We've got the information to work with. Do you think um, it's a, a matter of um, more people potential on the corporate side? getting more familiar with the science? Is it about coming up the curve and actually really understanding it more? Is it a knowledge gap sometimes that causes the issue? Yeah, it is. And it's um, also the knowledge is changing. Uh, I mean, the the, the the actual facts are becoming more uh, clear and apparent and uh, it's becoming more clear what the timelines are. Right. And because I don't think that this is the day job of most corporate executives yeah. running companies, there is a need for some, some more high-level explanation of what the IP, what, what does the IEA and the IPCC, that's the scientific communities dealing with the energy tra- transition, say needs to happen around climate change. And this, this should be maybe given to them in a 10-point or 5-point bullet point thing about transport, energy, you know, agriculture, land use, whatever. And, and this, this should be common knowledge for anyone running a big, big company. And uh, they should be debriefed regularly on this because it's going to catch the companies up if they if they don't know this or they don't implement it or they implement something which is counter to this. Yes. And uh, increasingly, uh, all CEOs are being asked about how their company is dealing with climate change. So if they re- make reference to these touch points, they're going to be ahead of the game. I think um, that that is a good point because I think um, a lot of people who sort of have day jobs, if you like, I mean, I'd like to think we're all in sustainability and we've got to all be thinking about it. But in reality, um, people have day jobs that are operational or leadership and they're not always thinking about it. And the people I speak to often, I get this feedback of just information overwhelm. There's so much stuff out there. I don't know what I should be reading. I don't know where I should go to. And you just made the point that, yes, it would be great if it was in a 10-point plan or a regular briefing or something like that. Is there, and look, I just wanted to throw this out, do you have a a, a one place to go to read up on things that you think is the the best source of information if we wanted to be well-informed but not overwhelmed? I would say there is a five-page statement from the IPCC, which is yeah. guidance to policymakers, which contains a whole bunch of stuff about what needs to happen to different sectors of the economy to save the, save the world from climate change, essentially. Uh, and that can be further condensed into one page. Right. Dylan, at, at the end of our um, podcast, we always like to ask our guest if there's any particular parting thoughts or, or things that they would, would want to share with us that we haven't covered. I'd really like to end on by asking you any particular advice you would have for corporate leaders who, who, who don't want to be box tickers and want to do better, how can they get things right? And maybe a two parts to this, how can consumers and other stakeholders train themselves 
to, to do a little bit of what you do, to look beyond the window dressing and look beyond sort of marketing slogans and so forth and look behind things. I mean, we don't all have the resources that you've got to do the, the, the huge, um, well-researched job, but is there a way sort of mere mortals can actually be a bit more switched on and more questioning when they see um, statements about um, green products or services or organisations. So, sorry, that was a bit of a, a, a two-part thing. Could What can corporates do better and what can us mere mortals do to be more questioning of information? So, for corporate leaders, what I would say is um, you, you have more power than you realise to make an impact on this issue through your positions in the companies and the, the company's ability to impact the system. Yeah. And so they're in a position of privilege right now to, to, to make a change or to be part of this process of change in, in a very assertive and honest way. And it goes back to that issue of, 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 of truth. And, you, you know, there's the, an issue you mentioned is there's so many sources of information. And if you don't know much about it or you want to, and you go on, you almost need a guide to help with that information. So maybe find that. And then also keep in mind that, that the IPCC is the North Star. They, right. this, is, this is the scientists who've been saying this is what needs to happen. And that kind of applies to consumers as well, because for, for them, they don't have this guide. They can't pay a consultant or whatever. And so it's even more bewildering because there's just so many different green guides and mm. so, much, so much misinformation on the internet. And I would say the same thing. Look at the IPCC and, and read that summary to, to, to get an understanding of what the truth is. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't be so mistrustful of governments all the time. This is an issue that we're facing that... The, the system has encouraged so much mistrust in, in and and you know rightly so in some of the political developments around the world but in terms of regulators and scientists within governments you know they they by and large are trying to do their job and have been muffled for so many years thank you so much for talking to me this morning um, you've given me a great insight to the work of influence map and some really good tips to some of the people that might be listening so thank you for getting up early and having a chat to me I really appreciate it thank you so much Delintana no thank you very much Kylie it's been wonderful Oh gosh, Dylan is so deeply experienced and I like the way he makes it so simple. The science is in, the facts are the facts. <laughs> if you want to score better, do better. Yeah. And I, I, I can hear myself saying that to people. I'm sure I'm going to steal his lines and say that to people. <laughs> um, and, and look, the other thing I, I really wanted to highlight is I'm going to take his advice. The IPCC is the North Star. That's the only thing we need to look at. I'm going to get that IPCC five-page summary advice to policymakers and, and make sure I have a really good read of that and make sure my colleagues do too. It sounds like the, the, the one simple best resource going forward. Yeah, I've got to add that to my bookmarks bar as well. Um, you know, and I, I thought it was really powerful what he said about how executives simply aren't going to be able to read or even understand every paper that comes out talking about climate. Uh, which they're usually full of graphs and tables and numbers, you know, that just sort of highlights the, the, the importance of the things like the five-page summary from the IPCC. But at the same time, you know, leaders must put more effort into keeping on top of the key climate issues because when they're asked, and they will be asked, it really behooves them to have a clear, 
comprehensive position that makes sense and, and not just sort of spew hollow words out into the ether that mean nothing. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out the other episodes in our series. We've got great conversations with some of the brightest minds out there discussing the important issues in the world of social capital. See you next time. Social Capital Matters has been a production of Baldwin Boyle Group, hosted by Kylie Taylor and produced and edited by Greg Jorgensen. Find more episodes in our ongoing series on baldwinboyle.com slash podcasts, watch on YouTube, or listen wherever you find your podcasts.